Hello, everyone. Welcome to What You Need to Know with Matt Stoball. Thank you guys for listening, especially my first-time listeners. I know there's a few of you. This will probably be your first episode listening, so welcome to the show. So today's episode I'm very, very excited about. It's you know, It's been a while since I had a... Uh, you know, an ASU friend on. So I figure, you know, three episodes long enough, might as well put another one on. So my good friend, Richard Giraffo, uh, who went to school with me, is gonna is is joining the show today. And uh, Rich is a production assistant at ESPN. Um, yes, that ESPN. So uh, if you, for you, those of you who don't know, a production assistant is usually, if you want to be a producer, that's pretty much the entry-level title for it. Um, he's a PA for a bunch of different shows on ESPN. Um, there's different names for it. For, for, the, for the most part, he, he's basically a production assistant at ESPN. So uh, we haven't had a guest that has worked at a company as big as ESPN, as big as the worldwide leader. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen about his journey. And what's really cool about it um, is that he really did not know what to do, what he wanted to do, his first few years in college. I mean, he was at the point where he was in the journalism school with me, but there were moments where he was considering leaving and 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 just quitting journalism and, and changing majors and stuff um, and really did not get into the full-fledged of things of, uh, you know, building a resume and stuff till probably his junior year. Um, and, yeah, he's still got a great job. So, uh, you know, I think just an important lesson for, for everyone uh, to learn when listening to this interview. We, we go over a lot of stuff. You know, he's from California, you know, moving to Arizona, moving out to Bristol. Um, the challenges that he's experienced at ESPN, the, the good and the bad. Um, but there, you know, a lot of professional challenges, personal challenges for living so far away. So we go through all that and, and really talk about, um, you know, the struggles and, and, and how it, there, there are good things about working in as big as a company, ESPN, but there's also some um, you know, cons, which is, you know, like any business, but, uh, we go through, you know, what it's, you know, at ESPN, you know, his experience. And I think it's really useful, especially for people, um, who are in high school, um, looking in, into schools and stuff. And, um, you have this one perception of ESPN, I think, and to have someone who's still young and can tell, talk about their experience at ESPN so far, I think is really useful for you guys. So uh, very excited to share this. So uh, before we go into the interview, I just want to remind you guys, um, all these episodes are on Spotify. I'm guessing that's how most of you are listening right now. You can also check them on Anchor um, as well. It's not on Apple Music yet. I'm, I'm still working on it. It's kind of a pain, but I'm really am trying to get it on Apple Music as well for uh, for people who, who use that as their main uh, podcast platform. Also, if you haven't, please check the Twitter account at what to know, at what the number two, then no. All the episodes are there as well. Links to the Spotify, um, to the, to the Spotify link of all the podcast episodes are also there. And we, and we post stuff there, um, you know, when episodes come out. So, you know, make sure to follow that, stay updated with all the latest episodes and what guests are coming on, what you need to know. Um, so now, without further ado, uh, here is a good friend of mine, Richard Giraffo, who is a production assistant at ESPN. So I am here with a production assistant for the ESPN Next program, uh, program 
also part of the Sports Center Rise team. Another friend of mine, and it's been a while, but we got another ASU kid, ASU alum with former ASU alum with me, a former friend. Oh, wow, I'm really messing this up. <laughs> a former student and still a friend of mine, not a former friend, Richard Giraffo. Rich, how are you doing? I am doing good, living it up here on the absolutely rain shellacked island of Long Beach Island in New Jersey. I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm feel I'm getting that same storm up in North Jersey. Um, yeah, it's it's brutal right now. It's it's absolutely terrible. But you know that's why we can do this podcast because it's raining. So we got to do some inside. Yeah, no movies, no bowling alleys. It's kind of the only rainy day activity left. Right. So as I just said, Rich has been working around ESPN now for a little over a year. Uh, went to Arizona State with me. He's done a ton of production stuff. Um, both at school and obviously out of school. Um, so Rich is, you know, my age. Um, it, we, you know, helped each other a lot along the way, you know, talk to each other all the time about what we're doing in our lives and stuff. So I've always wanted Rich on because I think, you know, people hear him working at ESPN. They think, wow, like he's made it already. He's Rich is 23 and he's he's already made it. You know, people, I, th- I think, assume that right away when they think of ESPN. But we'll get to that. We'll get to your time in Bristol in a sec. I kind of want to go, well, not crazy far back, but, you know, right before, before college. So, Rich, you're from the San Jose area. Um, and, you know, so Bay Area kid and kind of tell me and the audience about the sports you liked and, and what influenced you to be, to work in the sports business. So, you know, like you said, I, I came most recently from San Jose. So, you know, repping for the Yay, coming from the Bay. And really just kind of, you know, expanding on my passions. And, you know, coming from that area, you'd expect Warriors and Giants and Niners. But in reality, I've had a, a bit of a unique upbringing, at least from my childhood to where I am now. So, you know, we were talking about Jersey before. I was actually born in Jersey. I was born in Newark. And uh, when I was about 10 years old, we moved out to California. So all of my sports allegiances lie on the East Coast after, you know, hanging with my grandpa and my uncles and just watching Yankee games and talking to my grandma about the Knicks. She's been a diehard since the 70s. And she was one of the lucky few who got to actually see their titles in person. So actually being able to, you know, just talk about it kind of built that that passion and that drive and that allure for what it means to be a New York sports fan from the very beginning. And obviously enjoying sports comes playing sports. And that's where I found the most passion. I was never really too into the stats or anything up until, you know, late age, late stage. We'll get into that a little later. But my upbringing was really based around whatever I could play and whatever I enjoyed. It's kind of what I fell in love with. I fell in love with physical activity, fell in love with baseball, fell in love with football. And I didn't play football that often, not until high school, really. Uh, But it was a unique experience in the sense that you begin to understand brotherhood. You begin to understand what it means to work as a unit and to fill different roles to work towards an eventual goal, a collective goal. And uh, my, my time playing sports is really what drove me to see it as, you know, more than just an activity. And I, that's what I thought it was up until about my junior year of high school. And uh, in my junior year of high school, I was, you know, just a regular kid, had no idea what I wanted to do like most of us. And I was thinking, yeah, I'll do business. I don't know, maybe marketing, maybe I'll do a wild ball and I'll do medical and getting ready to go into my junior year. 
after thinking of all that, starting to talk to my parents about where I'm going to apply, what I want to do, and just kind of feeling out the college process. But uh, we're getting ready. Um, the season is coming. The football season is. And during our second game of the year, I actually hurt my shoulder in the middle of a game. And so what happened, I was running down the field on a kickoff, and I was blindsided by one guy and consecutively hit by another on the left side. And something popped in my shoulder, and I, I thought it was a, you know, I wasn't really sure what it was, but I just kept playing. And I eventually went through the whole season playing with that bit of shoulder pain. And I said, man, whatever, it's just a nook and a cranny. It's something that'll work itself out. But it never really did. And after that football season came baseball. And when I tried to play baseball, that's when I realized something was really wrong because I couldn't lift my left shoulder as high as I needed to. I couldn't swing a bat. I couldn't do anything. It turns out I really messed up my shoulder. I tore my rotator cuff, my labrum, and that sidelined me. And that next coming football season is when I found out that sports journalism was really a path that you can pursue as a career. I found out that, you know, getting onto the radio and doing play-by-play really wasn't that far off as it seemed. It didn't seem as exclusive as maybe I thought. And so I, I went to, at the time, a regular radio teacher at the school and said, hey, I want to start a club. I want to start a radio club and I want to start uh, doing play-by-play for our high school sports. So that year, I got my first exposure to calling games on the radio, doing baseball, doing football, doing a little bit of basketball. And then on the side, having a little talk show with my friend, Eddie Ronco. We had a pretty good name for that show. Actually, it was called Rich and Ronk. So we would just, very creative. Yeah, we just mess around and we talk. Our friends would call in and give us crap for whatever we were talking about. It was a good time and it was just all good fun. But in reality, that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that this was a potential career path and this was something I could potentially do. And uh, so, you know, my passion for sports was always with the physical and it was always with the fact that I could play these sports and that I could exercise and that I could feel like that superstar taking the last shot, you know, with two seconds left, even though I never really was, I was a good baseball player. I was a fine football player, you know, whatever, nothing too great, but the passion that you have for the physical eventually manifested itself into a passion for finding that way into sports and finding that way into the world of sports. And it's been a unique journey, but the time in high school where I injured myself and I thought things were over was really just the beginning. And that was the moment that I realized I could be something and that I could really make an impact in the sports industry. You know, it's it's crazy, right? So most people in in sports broadcasting, sports media, a lot of them say, you know, God never gave them the talent to be good at sports. It's almost like the opposite for you, where you felt, you know, you were good enough and it was, you know, you loved playing these sports. Maybe not, you know, the best athlete, but you were you were good enough to to do well in high school, and you got hurt. So God almost gave you the chance to to continue to work in sports in, in a different way and continue continue to be engaging in it, uh, which is interesting. And uh, believe me, Rich is a very good athlete. He's one of the best intramural basketball players I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but continuing, so. So you're in high school, you're doing you're doing the show and, and you're trying to do some play by play. Um, and now you're about to graduate high school. So what you know, you eventually you decide to come to Arizona State. But what was your process like? How were you looking at schools? What was your mindset going into it? And what led you, what led you to Tempe at the end of it? So my college process, at least looking for where I wanted to go, was actually pretty simple. It was pretty fast. Uh, what happened 
you know, I went into the application process like any other kid. I had 14, 15 schools I wanted to apply to, had eight or so that I was definitely going to apply to. And Arizona State was not on that list at first. So uh, I went around. I started visiting some schools. I, I went to CU Boulder. I went to Fordham University. I visited UFC. And I believe, yeah, I visited USC. And that was, oh, USC. Yeah. But you went all over. I didn't know you went to Fordham. So you went west yeah. and east coast. Yeah. So I, I, did a, I did a brief week or week and a half camp at Fordham, actually, where I kind of just learned about writing and it was pretty much like a an English camp I guess you could say so it was just learning how to tell stories how to write and how to do things like that so I spent some time there and that made me very interested in Fordham because I loved the campus it was really cool it was in the Bronx it had a nice uh nice uh, field area it had some cool buildings but you know it was never really a super high up uh school on my list so basically I applied to USC I applied to CU and I didn't get into USC. I, I don't think I got into CU. I don't really remember. And uh, basically, after I visited those schools, my mom said, well, what about Arizona State? And I said, what about Arizona State? And she said, oh, I have a good program. And I said, okay, well, they have sports journals, and let's go check it out. And me and my mom, we took the trip down to Tempe uh, and then made our way over to downtown Phoenix, where we toured the Cronkite building. And touring the Cronkite mm -hmm. building was one of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had. If I'm being honest, as soon as I walked in and I saw the vast array of technology and options and pretty much all the flash that you get with the Cronkite school is what drew me in. And I said to myself, this is it. This is all, this is all I want to do. I'm not going to apply anywhere else. So I ended up not applying anywhere else. After that, I just said, this is it. And if it's not here, I'm going to figure something out. Thankfully, I was able to get into the Cronkite school and pretty much on the fact that the building looked cool. They had a lot of computers and there were a ton of kids in the First Amendment forum who looked like they were having a good time. And I said, this is a place I want to be. Got to love that architecture. You really do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah cool no, I mean, it was, yeah, it is a cool building, you, especially your first time. You're like, holy bleep. Like it is it is crazy. Um, so you you get to ASU um, and your path, like I said, I think it was similar to mine and no, my the audience doesn't really know my 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 true path yet. I will do that one day. There will be an episode. Don't worry. <laughs> Can't wait um, for that one. But yeah, right. It will be a good one. Um, I'm teasing it. So you, you know, you can't you can't you come to ASU and what did you originally want to be? Did you still want to do radio? Did you want to be on air? I mean, you eventually became you know looked like you want to do production at the end of it. But you know, it seems like you you experienced a lot before you got to where you are today uh, at school. Yeah, so when I first got to ASU, my goal was to be a play-by-play -play broadcaster because that was really the only thing that I did in high school. That was the only thing I, I felt comfortable at. And, you know, I, I was pretty good at it. I was pretty good at play-by-play -play. for someone who'd never really done it before, only really done, I don't know, 15 games overall. I felt pretty good about my chances, had a decent reel and thought this could be the way to go. But once I got to ASU, like you said, it was a bit of a late start. I didn't do anything journalistically until pretty much the middle of our junior year, the beginning of our junior year, if you, if you could really stretch it into that. And basically what that meant was I was just sitting in my apartment or in my dorm, excuse me, the, for the first two years, just doing nothing but working out and getting pretty okay to bad grades. And 
that summer going into our junior year, I kind of had a realization that I wasn't really doing anything, but I didn't want to do anything. I didn't have that passion. I didn't have that drive. And I started exploring other routes. I said, okay, well, let's look at kinesiology. Let's look at dietitianary work. Let's look do, at do you, maybe- do, you, do you think, hold on, sorry, Rich. Do you think that you didn't feel as interested? Was it just you learned more and more about the business? Was it other stuff? Um, or you just felt like you wanted a new interest? I felt, I feel that it was a combination of a lack of effort, a lack, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm just going to say it was a lack of effort and a lack of desire to put in that effort. Mm-hmm. And basically, I, you know, I was looking at the landscape of what sports is like, because, you, you know, when you get at the school, you start to understand that it is a pretty narrow field at least for high reaching success in sports and being in the sports media business so i kind of spooked myself without even really giving myself a chance so i just started to look into other fields i looked into medicine looked into kinesiology and actually went as far as almost applying to those places and started taking certain courses to get into medicine and you know while that wouldn't have been a realistic option to take it felt like it was something i had to do but eventually you know, I started working in sports a little bit more. I started to actually try. I looked at some of my friends and I said, well, my friends are doing this. And, and quite frankly, I thought I'm better than that. I can do that I, like easily. What are you doing, dude? So I just started trying things. And the self-belief that I had at that moment after that realization is kind of what drove me to just try and try and try and try. And first thing that I tried, I, I got to cover ASU basketball our junior year. And um, what that entailed was basically me applying for a friend's student-run club. Uh, I don't know if you'll have him on, but Zach Bacale was working with a few of his few of our classmates. He's on the waiting list. Yeah, well, a few of our classmates and him restarted Devils in Detail, which is a pretty good club that I thought was really cool because it tried to include freshmen and sophomore and get their feet wet and really didn't have too many restrictions or requirements to be a part of. So I thought it was a very inclusive club. And thankfully, he, one of my best friends at the time, gave me the chance to cover basketball. And covering basketball, I got to write, got to interview, and got to experience what it was to be in that cohort of media practitioners and media personalities who were doing their best to make their way and make their mark at the bank, at Wells Fargo. And so that year, that that semester, really, where I realized – okay, I can just continue to try this and I can continue to write or I could try to get back on camera. So that was the moment I kind of realized you could do whatever you want. You just need to try. You need to do it because I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to fail. And that's really what it's about. You need to try things and whatever works is what's going to stick. And thankfully, I was able to try a lot because of the good graces of our friends and our colleagues letting me. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, how important do you think Let's say, let's say you did enjoy being on air and you were finding success and you were in clubs or you were, you know, you were getting real done and, and you were having, you're still building a good resume being on air, whether it's play by play report or whatever. How important do you think it is to still maybe try shooting video or learning, you know, the simplest forms of production just to kind of understand what it's like on the other side of the camera per se? I think that it's imperative. I think it's the most important thing that you can do. 
in any job, any profession you want to go into, at least from what I've found, you want to be able to answer any question that's thrown your way. And that's sort of where I based my efforts on as I got past my junior and into my senior year. So when that time came around, I started thinking to myself, okay, I know I can write a little bit, but I don't want to write for a career. So let's do a little bit of everything. And so I started doing more on-air stuff and, you know, it was good. It was fun. But knowing the ins and the outs of the production side is just as important as having a one of a kind voice because it makes the whole production work better. When I say production, I mean anything. It doesn't have to be a massive Monday Night Football telecast. It could simply be you and your friends putting up a YouTube video from the couch where you're just talking about if you thought Miguel Cabrera had a chance to hit the most home runs in the world or ever, something like that. But understanding how to edit something together, understanding how to pre-plan, understanding how to just work with your colleagues and to build that rapport is the most important thing to creating good content. So the only way you can really do that is by trying it and learning what do producers actually do because producers are, you know, a pretty, I don't want to say mystified title, but it's very vague. It doesn't really mean anything. Like, you know what an on-air personality does, you know what a director does, and you really know what every other, you know, what a cameraman does, you know what a scorekeeper does, you know what everyone does, but a producer is pretty mystified. So I think it's really important to try and understand all aspects of this business in order to succeed at the highest levels. I mean, look, I, I've been I've been doing producing stuff now for o- almost a year, and I still couldn't fully tell you what a producer does. <laughs> it's funny, but um, you know, I you know, it's no talent on air talent. None of the greats that you'll see the Stephen A. Smiths, the Skip Bayless. We even go like a Woj some, on, when he's on television. Those guys. None of those guys could be what they are without a producer, without someone behind their ear, helping them through the show, giving them information and, you know, just kind of running the show with them. It's it's important in, in any aspect of television, not just sports. Um, it really, really, really is. So I think and I regret this because when I was at school, I did not take the same production classes that you did. And I still regret it to this day. I feel like that's the number one thing I missed out on when I was at ASU. So whether you want to be on air or not, or you are on air, um, it is super, super important to understand what a producer does, the main aspects of a production of a show, um, and just even like understanding a simple rundown and things like that. But we continue on to finish off your ASU, just kind of, you know, summarizing your stuff here. What, you know, because... On you know on my podcast we've had I've had a lot of ASU people but I had some Marquette people I had Florida State so schools from all over and I'm just trying to get people full understanding of these schools my these guests have attended so for ASU when we've had a lot of guys go over the pros and cons but what were your what were the the advantages and disadvantages you think the Cronkite School in Arizona State had um, at the university? Um well. If we're talking pros and cons, I would like to say that the Cronkite School, at least in the sports department, had a lot of pros as opposed to cons. Now, every program that you work in or every group that you're a part of, there are going to be ups and downs to it. But as far as the Cronkite School, at least when I got 
you know, most of my experience is speaking from junior and senior year, which uh, was mostly professional programs and working alongside other actual media professionals. What are professional programs, by the way, for people who don't know? So a professional program, at least in the sense of an ASU professional program, is basically you're working for a news station at school and you're not getting paid for it, of course, because why would you ever get paid for working 40 hours of a course. week? But, uh, of course. <laughs> but basically at ASU, they have these different professional programs and the main one is called Cronkite News. And as a subdivision of Cronkite News, you have Cronkite Sports Now. And you could put two and two together. Cronkite Sports Now is where the sports talent and the sports hopefuls are working in their professional program. So what I did for that was originally going into the, yeah, going into our senior year, I wanted to be an on-air talent, right? So I was slotted to be an on-air reporter and to tell stories and to broadcast and to report. But about two weeks before we were in session and we were getting to school, the head of that program, Brett Curlin, he sent out an email and he said, we need producers. Does anyone have producing experience? Does anyone take a news prod- newscast producing? We just need bodies because we don't have enough. And so I looked at that email and I said, I don't really want to do that. But then I said, you know what, Shit, man, I got to do something. Let's do it. Let's give it a go. And I just, that was one of the first leaps of faith that I took that eventually carved my, you know what, let's just go full in and see what happens mentality that I still carry to this day and that I still try to emulate wherever I can. So I text, I emailed him back and I said, Brett, I had newscast producing a little over a year ago. I would love to do it. I'd love to try. And he said, welcome to the team. And so then at that moment, I became a broadcast producer for Crockett Sports Now. Um, and basically the duties there were to complete a daily 10-minute, 12-minute newscast show. Uh, I had to do two or three a week. And then with the eventual goal of also producing a 22-minute full magazine story full magazine show and that was that was a challenge in and of itself timing things and just actually and just actually creating you know and working with your reporters to get stories that were good enough for a professional a real life newscast station like fox sports was a challenge in and of itself but beyond those basic producing tasks that i had to do I took it upon myself to really get into graphic design, to get into cinematography, to get into pre-planning and pre-show production and really try to build out as many aspects of the mere 10 minutes that we had as I possibly could. And, you know, looking back on it, there were a lot of failures. A lot of the things I tried were not good, I don't think, personally at least. But that is the only way you can learn is if you fail, if you try and try and try again. And you just try different things. So looking back on it, there are a lot of things I would have done differently, but there also is the fact that I'm happy with what I did there. I'm happy that I tried and failed and tried and failed and learned all these different skills and learned how to work with different people who were really skilled and some who were not so skilled. Everybody wanted to reach the eventual goal of producing the best content they could. And I found that working together to do that was the best way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, I mean, I remember at school, you, you really, you know, you did a lot. You worked insane hours, filled in for people. Um, I mean, I, I think at some points you probably worked 20 hour days. Definitely. Uh, you did some amazing stuff and continue on what I was saying before you learned more stuff that 
I wish I learned or pay attention to more or put more effort in. Even my senior year, teasing when I talk about my career, I still was considering on air. So I did a lot more on air. Um, and you were grinding on the production side and, and killing it for our shows. Um, I, I also want to say, Rich, we're trying to keep it clean. So <laughs> watch out the cursing. I got notes. Don't worry. You got um, it, boss. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. No problem. So so now, so you're, you, you haven't even graduated. So you're, you're in your senior year and uh, ESPN comes up somehow. So they come calling and you have a chance to land a production assistant job with them. So what was, you know, did you apply for this? Did you have a connection? How did you even get an interview? So this was around the time that this began was during the first semester of our senior year. And what originally happened is I started looking around for jobs and I started putting out feelers very, very early. And what I found in our second month of the year was that, oh my God, this is much more scarce than I thought it was. And I'm kind of terrified. And that was a big motivating factor for those 20 hour days and those ridiculous overnight. You were, you were applying in like, so you were applying like October, September. I was putting out feelers. Yeah. I was reaching out to, I wasn't doing formal applications, but I was in contact. I was reaching out to different uh, directors and newscast directors just to see what are the things they're looking for and what did they want us to really focus on or what do they want to see in potential candidates that they would hire out of college? Because it's not easy to get a job out of college. And anyone who goes anywhere, doesn't matter the market size, doesn't matter the name, good on you. You have an opportunity. You can try something. You can really build from that. But this process started, I was applying to places in ESPN. I, I looked at and I said, no way, I'm never going to get there. So don't even bother with it. Then come around, I want to say October, I got an email from one of the recruiters who actually used to go to ASU. His name is Jeff McGuire. And he was interested in talking to me about this program that they were trying to revamp and put together at ESPN. And that program was the ESPN Next program. So after he reached out, I replied and we started talking. And he said, uh, we'd love to see your resume, your cover letter. And so I sent it over. And basically from that point on, uh, the process was long, but it was also very fast. All the things that I did for this process happened very quickly, but I didn't hear back for a very long time. So the first thing that they did after agreeing that, okay, we're going to give you an interview. The first thing we did was an online interview with Jeff, who was formerly a producer at ESPN, but now runs the ESPN Next program to try to bring in new talent every six months in the form of cohorts. So I did my online interviews with him where, you know, they just, we, we had a nice conversation one time, me and Jeff had a pretty simple conversation just to introduce ourselves, to say hi. He said, okay, from this one, you know, I thought this was a good conversation. Now we're going to set up two formal interviews where you're going to speak with the current producer of MLB Tonight. And then you're also going to speak to me and we're going to do a quote unquote producer test to see what you look for and to see if you have the eye for storytelling in second by second basis. So the first conversation was the informal one. And I did that with a producer named Greg Colley, who I think is still at ESPN. And he works in a lot of the, uh, on a lot of the domestic ESPN baseball shows. 
we just had a nice conversation. We talked about where we were from, what we were doing, and he was a great guy. It was great to talk to him. He was, uh, we were joking around, and it was a simple, easy 20-minute conversation. And right after Greg, I got into the producer test with Jeff, and that's where things got pretty interesting because it was an hour-long meeting where I was sitting in my college dorm room, absolutely nervous because I'm thinking, how hard is this test going to be? What is it going to be? How nervous were you? And you're also in the time zone difference. So yeah. I don't know if that was earlier. Yeah. So the, the time zone difference, I, I think it was two hours at the time or three. Okay. I don't know. But he wanted to do it at 930 in, on the East Coast. So I was up pretty early to do it on the West Coast or at least in Arizona. Um, so you're shaking your boots. Yeah, shaking my boots. But it's it's more of a... It's more of an excited nervous than a, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's more of a, yes, this is an opportunity. I can't wait. What is he going to throw at me? And so we sat there and he took me through three or four different sports, three or four different highlight scenarios where he played a clip. He let it run for two or three minutes and he said, tell me what you see. And there was no context other than that. He just said, tell me what you see. And so... The two that stick out to me were the two that I remember, at least. There was one soccer play. I don't remember what the game was, who was playing. And it was a corner kick. Ball gets kicked in from the corner and goes over the top. Goalie runs out to get it. Everyone jumps for the header. And all the guys miss it. It goes past everyone. And then one person just waiting on the backside. Ball comes right to his foot. He just taps it in. Easy work. And that was the goal that tied the game it was late in the match. And uh, basically after he scored that eight or nine of the opposing players that were on the defensive end that were trying to play defense and stop the goal, all put their arms up in the surrender Cobra position. And so that wasn't emphasized on the screen or anything like that, but it's something that I took note of. And I said, okay, they all did surrender Cobra. That's what this highlight is about. And so he asked, he stopped the clip. He said, what'd you see? And I said, I see a corner kick scenario late in the match, ball comes in, sails over everyone's head, gets to the backside, and a lucky out-of-position striker just knocks it in easily. And then he said, okay, what else did you see? And I said, well, the best part about it was all the surrender cobras. He said, it's exactly what we were looking for. And then he showed me, after that clip, he showed me exactly how ESPN did a treatment during SportsCenter to show that highlight. And that was the thing that they emphasized, the surrender cobras. And so he said, okay, good job. And we did another one, and then we eventually got to the other one that I remember, which was an NBA Hold game. On, so the Surrender Cobra, is that like an arm movement? Yeah, the Surrender Cobra. You know how uh, people put both their hands on their head? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. so it okay. was a pretty much universal sign of defeat from that got other it. team. They put their hands on their got head it. and so their I, tail, and oh my god, are you kidding me? The C I think it's me being silly. I, I actually have never heard that term. But okay, continue on. I, well, I apologize. It's, it's good to get the descriptor in too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically all these guys, they put their hands in their heads. They go, oh my God, are you kidding me? And you'll see a lot of fans do it. But it was unique to see the soccer players do it too. Um, okay. So you see the other clip. So we see the other clip. And this was a clip of Lucas Nagara, who was then on the Raptors. He was at the free throw line or he was waiting alongside the free throw line as one of the other players was taking a free throw, and he just dropped his drawers just out of the blue. He just dropped his drawers, fixed his string, fixed his shoes, and he was just sitting there oh with, his, with his butt out. And it was, <laughs> it was pretty easy to notice that, but those are the kinds of things that they were showing. They were trying to see if I was looking beyond 
the ball going in the hoop and beyond, you know, LeBron James, beyond Ronaldo, obvious stuff. They're trying to see what I was picking up on. And I think that's really what they were looking for. They were looking for someone with a well-rounded eye who wasn't just looking at one aspect of the game. Got it. So really, you know, that was a lot. That's a lot of info on that interview. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, there's, there's cool. more after it, too. There's, there's a few more oh. steps. All right. So, well, I just want to say, you know, for people, you know, that's if you want to be a production assistant ESPN, you know, that's that's kind of the inside of kind of what it's like. It's really think outside the box. You know, when I now I'm thinking of your surrounder Cobra uh, hand <laughs> thing, I can imagine it. Um, and you know, especially in soccer, that's the true agony. You know, it's, it sounded like it was, you said it was late in the game, so they're probably exhausted. And to give up a silly goal like that, you know, maybe one person's fault, but something so simple could could ruin the whole game. And and you know, all the effort was put to waste. You know, extra emotions that you want to get out of people. Um, and you know, funny moments like you saw in that Raptors game too. So continue on with the stories. You're, you're doing more. Uh, interviews and you have more challenges coming up before uh, they give you a job. Yeah. So we finished that producer test and, and two or three weeks go by after that. And I don't hear back and I just assume, Oh, I guess I screwed up. I guess I didn't get it, whatever. And then pretty much the day that I realized and had resigned myself to defeat and started to begin looking around, I got an email saying, Hey, we want to talk to you again one more time. And I said, okay, great. So another online chat. I thought it was going to be an interview, a test of some sort, but it wasn't. It was actually just Jeff saying, Hey man, congrats. You passed the test. Now we want to fly you out to Bristol and we want you to do an in-person series of interviews where we'll really get to know you and get to see if this is the right place for you. And those are the words he said. He said to make sure that it fits what I want as well, because that's something they were looking for. Not just talent, but talent who wanted to be a part of the ESPN family, which I'll get into a little later is actually a pretty real thing. It's a pretty real turn. But before we get into that, the, the last step before I found out that I had actually gotten the job was the in-person interview. And this was a really, really cool experience because I had never really been to Bristol, Connecticut. I had never been to ESPN headquarters. I had no idea what it was like. And here I was, you know, I six hope you or seven months tall. I hope you sorry. I hope you weren't expecting uh, tall buildings and skyscrapers and <laughs> I didn't honestly, people I didn't go in with any expectations of what it would look like and I'm glad I didn't because ESPN headquarters is pretty much the the symbol of modern civilization in the Bristol area and it is a beautiful campus I will tell you that it is awesome and they're renovating the whole thing right now so here I was 6 or 7 months from graduation and I'm sitting here saying I have a great opportunity to really showcase myself and to showcase why I feel that I belong at a company like this straight out of college. And so I get flown out. Uh, it's about a, it's a three day turnaround. So one day traveling, one day interviewing, and then I'm out the next day. And so I'm sitting in my hotel room. I, I land in Connecticut and I get a rental car. I drive down to Bristol and I'm sitting in my hotel room where they put everyone up and I'm, you know, enjoying a nice burrito that I picked up on the way home. I'm steaming my clothes. I'm getting everything ready for tomorrow put on a nice suit, put on some pants, decent shoes, and a tie that I'm comfortable in. So I'm sitting there steaming everything, and I'm watching The Incredibles 2 in my hotel room. And next thing you know, I set the fire alarm off because I let the steam on too long. 
So the night before my interview, I set the fire alarm off and basically screw the entire hotel. <laughs> wow. That, you know, talking about that, that's, that's a, that's a good first impression. That's a good first impression. Does yeah. the hotel relay that to ESPN? <laughs> I really hope not. But I mean, you know, that <laughs> night goes by. That that's funny. Yeah. The night goes by and I'm feeling pretty good. I get to ESPN around 745 in the morning. I get to the welcome center. And I sit down, I check in, and then the other three candidates that I'm there with also check in. So now it's a group scenario. This is not something I was expecting. There are four of us. Uh, it's me and three other women. I don't remember. Actually, I think I do remember the names. It's me and three other women. There was Chanel, there was Erica, and I think Demetra was her name. So the three of us are there, and we start to get to know each other. And eventually, someone comes in and says, all right, let's get this thing started. So... We all get in these security vans because as you'll come to find out if you ever visit or if you get a job at ESPN, the campus is massive. It's about two miles wide altogether, and it's big enough where you can basically take security vans around if you really wanted to. So they put us in security vans, took us across campus to one of the main buildings, and they sat us all in one room. And so we waited there. We had gotten to know each other a little bit, and we were feeling comfortable. We were feeling good. And eventually Jeff and one of the other people in charge of the program named Nicole come into the room and they say, Hey guys, welcome. How's everyone doing? We have a brief conversation went pretty well. And then they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's your first test of the day. And mind you, this is at, I think nine o'clock in the morning. They're just throwing us right into it. So they said, all right, we're going to show you a series of clips and a series of stories. And we want you to write down on your own, how you would create a show around what we show you. So we watch about 15 minutes of different highlights, different games, different things, taking notes on everything that I could possibly take notes on, trying to think of, you know, okay, how many pitches has he thrown? How many bases have been stolen? How many hits have there been? How many runs have scored? And I'm just writing everything down that I possibly can. It's basically a log of a baseball game, a basketball game, and I want to say a track event. And so the 15 minutes goes by, we have it written down. And then he says, okay, put the, those pieces of paper that you have to the side. Now I want the four of you to work together. And I want you to put together a 15 minute show block for this next thing we show you. So they show us another thing. And this was really cool because I got to see how the other three people were thinking, how they were working together. And I made it a point to be the first person to speak up after they said, okay, go. So as soon as we started, I made it a point to be the first person to say, all right, how do we want to do this? What are we looking at? What do we think is interesting about this? And what kind of story do we want to tell? And we did our eventual you know, discussion. We made out our block and we presented to Jeff how we wanted to tell the story of what he had just shown us. He said, okay, that's great. Here's how we actually did it with, you know, on TV. And so that was pretty cool because we did some similar things, but then we also missed out on some of the biggest parts of the story that they were telling. So it was, it was good to see that. Um, but after that, they said, okay, good job, guys. It was fun. Now we're going to break you up into groups of two, and you're going to go do individual interviews after that. So two of us went on a campus tour, and then the other two started to do two rounds of hour-long individual interviews. So seeing the rest of the campus was pretty cool because they had a uh, – a current PA at the time, take us on the tour, show us around, show us what it means to be at ESPN, show us, 
you know, what it means to be a part of this family and just kind of tell us a few things to keep in mind. And so we did the tour. It was awesome. And then it was time for the interviews. And then the final two interviews were really fun because they were really informal and it's where you got to really show your personality. And that is the biggest, most important thing that I could relay to anyone applying to any job anywhere in any field. Be yourself because you have to show your true colors to the people you're trying to work for or to work with. Because if you're honest, if you're open, you're fun, they're going to be receptive and they're going to start to build that rapport that you'll eventually need in anything you do. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty awesome. Um, you know, to first of all, they fly you out there. I've, I don't think I've heard that one yet. So they fly you out there. And you're with these people. Did it? Did you ever? Did you? Did you feel like? I mean, you were obviously help, working with the, with each other and helping each other out. But did you feel like, oh, I got to beat these these other three? Did you ever feel that competitive side of you come out come out at all? That it's me against them? You know, my the way that I thought about it. Yes, the competitive fire came out, but it wasn't a at for it wasn't really a me versus them. It was a I want to in in the group parts at least. I wanted us to succeed, but I wanted to make sure that I was at the forefront of that success. And then as far as the individual stuff, I, I was in, in my life outside of work and everything. I was just peak confidence, peak comfort, peak sociability. So I was pretty much just having a conversation with those people and talking about my passions for technology, talking about movies, talking about games, sports, talking about what I loved about sports, what I hated about sports. And really just kind of showing them all of my personality. That's what I tried to do. Really, you got to be true to yourself. So, okay, so you do all these, This you had a, a fun day. It sounds like overall it was a fun day. Yes. So what, they just sent you back home and said, you'll hear back in, in a few days? Or what was, what was that process like? Yeah, they basically said, hey, thanks for coming. We'll talk to you later. That was it. I really don't <laughs> remember anything other than a very quick, thanks for coming. It was great to have you. We'll be in touch. And so we all got in our cars, drove back to the hotel. I drove to the airport, flew back to Phoenix, and I was producing a show the very next day. And it was a very tense couple of days where I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, I don't, I, you know, what are they going to say? What am I going to hear? And I actually didn't hear back. I, mind you, all this is going on, started in October, then went to December. I had the in-person in February. Right. Wow. So this was all spread out pretty long. So in person in February, I didn't hear till late March. So I thought I hadn't got the job because I didn't hear back for so long on multiple occasions. That's a long and, time. Mm -hmm. So what happened was me and Chanel were the ones who got the job. And then the other two sadly didn't, even though they were very smart. They were very intelligent women who knew what they were doing. Uh, they, Do you remember like their backgrounds at all of the four out of the four of you guys? Were they also college students? Were they out of college? One of them was, yeah, one of them was out of college. Chanel was out of college for about six months and she was the one who got the job. Erica uh -huh. had gone to Missouri and Demetra, I believe went to, I want to say Virginia. Okay. So they had all, those two had been in school the same as I have. So they were uh, not gra not yet graduated, but getting there in their last year. And so Chanel and I ended up getting the jobs. And Chanel started, I believe, 
almost right after the in-person interviews, I think only a few weeks after that, she had heard back and she started. And so she's, she's still working there now, but she started about three or four months ahead of me because of the fact that I still had to graduate school and she was already done. So basically what they told me, they said, look, Richard, we want to congratulate you on getting the position. We'd love to have you if you'd love to be with us. And we'll start you in July as a part of our new cohort system for ESPN Next. And basically they explained to me that this was going to be a group of 25 kids that were going to come in, 25 you know, college graduates or recent college graduates coming in and we're going to be spread across the company as a part of the first ESPN Next cohort. And uh, that was pretty cool to feel a part of a new program where they wanted to really focus on our development and give us a chance to get more care and more training than people have in the past. And so from that moment on, I realized, okay, this is, you know, they want us to succeed. They want us, they want to give us the tools and the possibility to do more in our first year than people usually would. And I thought that was really cool. So I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll, I accept, obviously, I'm not going to say no to that. In any job, I would have pretty much said yes to. I just got lucky with this was the first one. Um, so yeah, I get to Bristol that coming July after I graduate, July 15th. So I'm coming up on a year in just five days, which is pretty exciting. And uh, it, it's been a ride ever since. It's been ups and downs. It hasn't been easy. It's It's been the hardest year of my life, both you know, off the field, out of work, and personally. But it has long, long been a journey that... I've happily gone down so far. It's well, just the beginning, but I feel things are finally right. headed in a direction that I'm really pleased with, both personally and professionally. So what, let's let's get to let's get through this year then. So, um, well, I guess let's start with kind of briefly explaining what you exactly are doing at ESPN because you with this program you we've talked about this and you're you're jumping around a lot of shows. You've jumped around a lot of shows over the year. So kind of explain like what you've done, what shows you've worked on and kind of how this ESPN X program has been working through for you throughout the year. All right. Okay. So when I first got to Bristol, uh, the 25 of us were divvied up into six different, what they call show pods and show pods are basically, you know, daily entertainment, the sports center at night crew, uh, feature storytelling, international, and event programming. So those are the pods that they divided us up into. And the first one, the first show that I worked for was the international department. And I didn't really know why. And I wasn't too happy about it at first because I said, I don't know anything about international sports. I don't speak any other language, really. I can understand a few words, but I don't know why I'm being sent to international. But that turned out to be, you know, one of the best spots that I could have been sent because the international crew at ESPN has so fewer numbers that there's more opportunity for people to do things. There's more opportunity to learn how to be an AP in your first month and a half, how to learn the duties of an AP at least, and to communicate with them and work side by side with them in the control room during a live broadcast. So with the international crew, I was able to work on the Pan American Games to start, which was a three-week event, which is basically the South American Olympics where it's not as serious as the Olympics, but it's the same exact format where it's all these different games going on at all different times with all different teams from all different countries. 
And that meant sitting in a control room, cutting live highlights, and working with producers to create content for a show on a very tight turnaround. So three weeks of that. And then after that, I started working on the Sunday night baseball, except for the international audience. So we called it baseball esta noche, baseball at night. And so I was able to get my first experience working as a part of a show staff there where I was cutting, you know, voiceover, cutting highlights, doing tight turnarounds, pitching segments, and trying to put together an hour long TV program. And being only a month into the job, that was extremely hard because I didn't understand ESPN's workflow. I didn't understand the systems entirely because it's really complex. There's so many things to do, but it was a, it was a good challenge and it, it was fun. I got to work very late hours. There were a lot of seven day weeks where, you know, I only had one day off or maybe no days off in a 14 day span, but it was worth it because it showed me what it meant to work in live event. And then the cumulative event at the very end of my time with INET was the US Open. Now that was an absolute dogfight. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I hope to God it's the hardest thing I ever do. Because for tennis, right? That was the tennis US yeah, Open. Yeah, that was the US Open last year. Oh God. I that's it's so many matches, especially in the beginning. I can't even imagine. Go ahead. Yeah. So we had about two weeks of prep where we were preparing uh like I think we prepared around 200 different clips, 200 different things for talking segments. And then the actual event came. And over the span of, I want to say, 15 or 16 days, I had one off day and three 15-hour shifts. So it was about 180 hours of work in two weeks. Oh, my God. Or three weeks, wow. I think. Yeah, three weeks, something. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was like... Oh my God. Yeah. I think 90 hour work weeks. I don't know if you, I don't even know if that's mathematically possible, but we could check. <laughs> that's crazy though. Either way, you know, 60 hour work weeks, that's long. But like you're saying, you know, especially live television, live sports production, you have to do it. That, that's, that's the duty of the job, especially in these tournament, these tournaments, these big events, Pan American, US Open, you know, they're long days. They're very long days, but they were, uh, they were good because got to work with editors, got to work with fellow PAs and it was fun. It was challenging and it was a, a lesson I, I very much appreciated. So after the US Open, the international department upsettingly had a complete overhaul, lost a lot of people. A lot of people were let go. They, uh, they moved a lot of jobs overseas down to Mexico, down to Argentina. They moved some things over the you know, over to Europe, and they just tried to expand the program to be more true to the audiences they were trying to reach. So me and a section of other PAs, about four or five of us, we were spread out throughout the company. And the place that I went after international was the features unit, and I was put with E60, which is ESPN's, you know, storytelling, one of their storytelling units, but uh, much more dramatic emotional 60 minutes of espn like yeah yeah it's pretty the much the 60 ESPN's minutes version of 60 minutes <laughs> as i meant to say yeah and it was uh that was a, a complete culture shock too because i went from tight 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 turnarounds you know 50 things a day to maybe doing one thing a day but having 10 long-term projects on my plate at the same time and so 
E60 was a lot more collaborative. It was a lot more thought out. And I, I really didn't get the physical reps that I think I needed at the time, you know, cutting things and telling stories and really showing off my storytelling capability. But I was able to work with producers who were putting together some of the best features I've ever seen in my life and able to, you know, work with them, chat with them, observe them, edit with them, and just soak in all the information that I could from the two from from them. Did you find it easy to work with these guys or to kind of be a part of, um, you know, like joining their staff and they, they, they were very helpful to you. You know, these producers who work years and years in the business are now you're, you're, you're with them all the time. They were, they were pretty open and helping you out and, and giving you advice and stuff. Yeah. So they were all really good about that. I just personally found it increasingly difficult to get comfortable. And a lot of that was on me, just getting in my own way. But the staff there was really, really helpful. Um, you know, it, it's weird when you go into a room, especially being a young person, when you go into a room like the E64, that is some of the best minds, the best storytellers in not even sports media, in just media altogether. To put together those 60-minute productions is incredible. It's incredibly challenging, and they direct, produce, write, they do everything. So I found it really hard to become comfortable with that group of people. But when I eventually did near the end of the rotation, the end of my time, it turned into one of the most rewarding experiences I've had. So once I was able to get out of my way, I was able to really learn and to absorb and to feel as a part of the family that they so obviously were. So what, and what other shows have you worked on, Rich? Because you've jumped around a little bit. So E60, ESPN International, what other departments have you worked in? Uh, e, so yeah, E60, International. I worked with Outside the Lines as a part of working with E60. And then now, uh, right now I work with SportsCenter and I work with a specialty team called Rise where we create creative elements, vignettes, uh, short features, and basically hype tracks to enhance and excite the audience and rise has been my favorite so far at least you know in in execution and doing things so we'll, we'll get to that in a sec but you know like you said you felt it took you a sec to to feel comfortable with the e60 crew and espn and you said you mentioned before how it you know it's been worth it and it's been a great experience but uh not just um through your work life but your personal life uh this was the, the toughest time personally through your personal life it's, you said before so uh you know however deep you want to get into this but what exactly do you mean by that just being far from home i mean you you know your whole family's across the country um was it more of that stuff working those crazy long hours what what was what was hard about that you know if the short answer is that it's a combination of everything but the thing that was really the hardest for me going back to school that last year was when I really created the, you know, the tight friendships that you always hear about. You know, I got close to you. I got close to a core friend of groups. I got close to Zach McHale, Braden Bell, Austin Burnett. These people became my brothers. And I met, you know, my wonderful girlfriend, Heather Cumberledge out there as well. And I formed this connection with her that I really think is something special. And just leaving all that in the dust in Arizona, leaving it behind and not having any of that at my disposal really threw off the balance of work 
and life. So everything mm-hmm. became work, but I wasn't really succeeding how I wanted to. So I started to just get angry and I would isolate myself. I would stay at home. I wouldn't really do anything. And it just all kind of snowballed and it became really hard. And up until the last two or three months, I was battling with just figuring out why am I doing this? Why am I still working? Like, should I just, you know, leave and try something else or should I try my own thing? I, I don't know. And so it was, mm-hmm. it was really a combination of losing all of my best friends who had become my brothers, being away from my girlfriend who had been so special to me and I spent all summer with and being away from my family. I didn't see my parents for seven months up until I think Christmas time. I, I didn't see them at all before Christmas. And then once again, I didn't see them at all up until two weeks ago. So I've had these two really long stints away from the people that are the closest to me. And I think that on top of the hours and just not really feeling fulfilled with the work, it all just piled up. But you looking back now, like you no, know, over the year, you know, do you, would you suggest people, you know, cause you obviously went through the struggles, but do, would you suggest people to not, you know, you're going to, you know, a lot of these business, you know, you moved to Bristol, Connecticut, you know, we have buddies who live in the middle of nowhere, Texas, Idaho. I know people in North Dakota, like they are far from their family mm-hmm. in, in these, you know, suburban rural places. Would you tell people to, you know, location may be a weird place or far to, you know, and you may be far from your family to not let that be a factor when wanting to work in media and, and, and we're having the job. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's important to go where you can, you know, if you have a job in the middle of, you know, Louisiana or the middle of Texas, like a lot of our friends are right now, I think it's important to take it. But, you know, the thing to do there is to maintain communication with your family, obviously over the phone, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to go see them at a moment's notice, do that every now and then. But the the number one part of that, at least what I found is really just accepting the place you are, accepting the reality and building your best life through that, you know, surrounding yourself with the people around you, making new friends, trying new things, and just trying to build a new life in a new place. So I would 100% guarantee, or not guarantee, I'd 100% recommend taking a chance on a job in the middle of nowhere, because you can make a great life out of that. You can have a lot of fun. Interesting. Okay, cool. I, you know, we, for, uh, we had, I had a guest, um, who Andrew Goldstein works in Ryan there, Wisconsin. So he kind of spoke about that similar to he's from New Jersey. So it, you know, it's, you're moving far in these middle of these places and you're kind of starting new, but, um, you know, people, if you want to work in sports, you kind of have to do it, unfortunately. And it does make you grow and become a better person. I feel like for most people when, when they have these experiences. So, We'll go on a lighter, a lighter note. Thank you, Rich, for sharing all that. That was, you know, an amazing, you know, I'm sure it was, it's a roller coaster experience for you, but I think it's important for people to know. Um, so going on a lighter note, what, you know, you've worked these crazy hours, you know, long, multiple days with no breaks, multiple weeks with no breaks. What has been your favorite thing so far that you, you know, maybe your favorite show or segment or or working on something, your favorite thing that was really like, wow, I love it here. Hmm. You know, I still am waiting for that. I love it here moment, but 
the thing that I have loved doing since I started working with the Rise Group, being able to cut the sports center at night open, the tees, and being able to work on specialty UFC content and just specialty content in general has been the thing that I've enjoyed the most. And specifically the, the UFC content that I've been able to produce and been able to dive into has been my favorite because I wasn't really a, you know, a combat sports person up until about three months ago. And, you know, like a lot of things in my life, the thing that really introduced it to me was video games. I started playing EA's UFC three and I loved it and it was awesome. I was like, this is so sick. What am I doing? Why, why, why don't I look into this more and get into it? So I started watching a little bit of the UFC and ingratiating myself in that culture and just learning about martial arts and the respect, the discipline, then the lessons that come with learning different forms and mastering them over years. And I thought that whole culture was very, very interesting, you know, beyond the head bashing and the metal music. I think there's a really strong community there that really focuses and cherishes a lot of values that help us as individuals. And that has led to a furthering passion for the sport and a furthering passion for creating content around that sport because you can go in so many different directions with it. So I've enjoyed the the UFC work that I've done the most. That's the thing that has brought me the closest to saying I love it here. You, you know, it's funny. I, I almost bought UFC 3 because it does look cool. The game looks cool. And I do want to do one day. I, I feel like video games have such an impact on people either learning a sport or expanding their knowledge on the sport. Like I still love the NBA, but I feel like I knew so many uh, bench warmers and stuff through 2K and things like that. I know we're going off topic here, but it's just kind of funny how you kind of got it. To, you, you peaked an interest in UFC because of that. I just bought NASCAR Heat 5. Maybe, uh, you know, I'll be watching NASCAR every weekend now in two months or something. We'll see. But yeah, um, it. but you have mm-hmm, go ahead. I, I think, like you said, I think other avenues leading to a discovery like video games or TV or movies, uh, honestly, that's where all of, that's where most of what I care about comes from. And I think it's really important if you enjoy something, if you enjoy, I don't know, war history, or if you enjoy UFC video games, or if you enjoy Tetris or something like that, see, follow that passion. Don't, don't dismiss it. Don't think of it as a stupid hobby you do, because it can lead you to a life of fulfillment, a life of enjoying what you do. You should 100% follow them. Mm-hmm. You really never know. It, it, it's crazy. You really never know. So, um, I so now you've you've been there for about a year, and you've you've only been at ESPN. But you know, ESPN is such a huge company, and you've probably worked with a bunch of people and from different experiences, different backgrounds. Um, what have you noticed through this? Maybe even when you were applying to how competitive the sports media world is, do you feel like there is this crazy competitive nature, not necessarily ESPN, but just in, you've noticed in general uh, with people, maybe if they came from different jobs or how, how hard it was to get a job at ESPN. Yeah. I think it's a, you know, it's like any job field that has a limited number of openings. It's going to be very competitive, but the thing that I found, and I don't know if it necessarily relates to the entirety of the industry, but if you get your foot in the door at ESPN, you could have a 10-year career there with never taking that next step, with just 
being in the door and being a PA doing certain PA duties. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a 10-year PA or a 10-year content associate if you're really pushing yourself. But the thing that I found is that you can you can kind of scrape by doing your job and nothing more and have a perfectly you know fine career and be someone who they value to do certain things. But if you really want to reach that top level, there are those people that are uber competitive that are willing to take the next step to do the extra work. And I think it's important to find a balance and to not just be all work, but the, the there's a variance. You could stay in the same spot for a long time, or you could excel through the ranks and really expand your, your, your tool bag, your toolkit, I guess you could say, and be more of an impact maker there and to really make yourself irreplaceable. And I think that's the goal to make it so that if they want to let you go, they're not going to be able to replace you that easy. They're not going to be able to find someone to do your job to fill those shoes because you brought something unique. And I think bringing something unique relates back to staying true to yourself and to letting your self and your inhibitions, your passions show because no one, no two people are the same. And if you start to follow a formula, yeah, that's fine. But if you bring your own twist, then you can make an impact beyond what people see when they just see your work. They can hear about you. They can, you can start to build that reputation. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I wasn't sure if it was like this in our companies. I'm just realizing this now, thanks to what you're saying. But I, I even, you know, remember I used, at NFL Films when I was interning there that there were people who were PAs for probably close to 10 years, seven, eight years, you know, being a PA and, you know, getting more responsibility, but, you know, in that one spot. And it, it is up to you to either, you know, push to the next level, work hard, get maybe get noticed or maybe even potentially just kind of building up resume and maybe taking, I don't want to say risk, but a, a chance to, you know, lead your own group. And maybe that is a downgrade in the company, but to have that experience and, you know, you can then use the connections you had at an ESPN or a bigger company, maybe work at a local television or something, and then come back into that company because you had those connections already. But now you got this new resume that you build where you were the head producer of a show or, you know, a head producer of a newscast. And now you have that with you that you could bring to ESPN and they could have you use for potentially uh, bigger and better, better things. But it varies on the person and, and you know, it's nothing, it's nothing bad against them, but some people, you know, like comfort and it's not a bad thing. I, I can't say it is because, you know, some people like the location of companies or, um, you know, just are, are happy where they are and, you know, that's okay for some people, but I know like for like you, Rich and, and others, they want to eventually, you know, you got, you guys get, some people get anxious. I'm sure you get anxious. And we've talked all the time where you're like, Oh, I'm waiting to go to the next step. I can't wait when one day I can, I can do this or that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of sports media world, definitely in the, in the production side, at least. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's just a lot of, you know, it's nothing wrong with being comfortable at all. But if you want to, if you want to take that next step, you got to really make yourself irreplaceable. Every world, every every place needs an accountant. That's 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 my best quote for that. Every place needs an accountant. Um, nothing against accountants, by the way. So I guess <laughs> to close this up, <laughs> seriously, nothing against accountants. I got a ton of friends who are accountants. Uh, so to close this up, Rich, and thank you for for being open about all this from 
your ESPN interview, your college time, and and you know, you know, kind of like this the storm we're we're going through right now, uh, you know, wiping your way and, and looking for for your sense of direction and, and what you want to do, whether that was through school and even at ESPN your first year. So I really appreciate you opening up about all of that um, to everyone listening to the podcast. So I guess to close this out, you know, a lot of people listening to this, you know, they may just want to hear about your time at ASU because they're looking at colleges. Some people are going to just uh, go ooh and ah over your ESPN, your time at ESPN. But what would you, what's the number one advice you would give to someone who's either a looking at colleges right now, or maybe is about to graduate, uh, was in your boat a couple, like you were almost two years ago now. Wow. We graduated. Can't believe almost two years. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's so <laughs> uh, what would you, what advice would you give those people who are either, like I said, about to go to college or about to enter the sports media business professionally? The advice that I would give is hard to, hard to collapse into a very few sentences, but the one thing that I would say to those in high school and those that are applying to college, if you're lucky enough and you're able to go visit the school and if it feels right, if it feels like a place you could see yourself, take the leap and apply for sure. And also one thing is just don't take yourself too seriously because the journey from you know middle school high school, college, professional, it feels like it's everything at that moment because it is, but don't take yourself too seriously. Learn to live, learn to laugh and learn to fail. Learn to be comfortable with that because there's nothing wrong with taking longer than other people or for having a unique route. Just know that whatever you do is special to you and you're going to find your way through. As far as people that are close to graduating or in school and are looking for things, just try. That's all I could say because that's that's the only, you know, everything changed for me when I just got out of my own way and I said, yeah, you know what? Let's try this club. Let's try covering this sport. Let's try making things on After Effects. Let's try Photoshop. Let's try working with a camera. It all comes from putting yourself in the position to receive an opportunity and to take it to the next level. You know, it's a, it's an age old quote, but luck is when preparation meets opportunity. It really is true. And so I would just say that you need to, if something ticks your fancy, if you want to try something, do it, just give it a go, be yourself and whatever happens happens. But as long as you try, that's all that matters. Richard Giraffo, the production assistant, a production assistant at for, for ESPN's next program. I'm going to botch this again. And is currently a part of the Sports Center Rise team. Rich, I can't thank you enough. Uh, thank you for sharing all of this. Uh, some some great stuff. That I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of good info out of. And uh, you know, I can't wait to have you back in five years when you're you know running E60. Hopefully, oh, man. I hope so. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was good to talk to you, man. All right, guys, I hope you learned a lot from that episode. I know I certainly did. Uh, just a really cool story with Rich and, and everything he's gone through. And, you know, we did the interview basically, I think it was really close to the actual date of the one-year anniversary from when he started working at ESPN. So just really, really cool stuff. Um, a lot of cool stories that he had um, 
and realistic stories that I think anyone would experience going into the business. So thank you, Rich, for coming on the show. Um, thank you guys for listening to what you need to know. We're going to have another guest soon and, uh, very, very soon as well, probably in two or three episodes, I'm going to do an episode of myself and talk about my journey and everything that I've gone through, through the media business. And so you guys can know, you know, more about me. So stay tuned for that episode as well. Stay tuned for, uh, the next episode that's coming up should be in the next few weeks or so. Thank you guys for listening so much to what you need to know. I'm Matt Stillball. Thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>